This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Chris Fritz from the View core team. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood, and I'm from... What am I working on these days? From my course, uh, How to Get a, a Job course. Anyway, you can find it at getacoderjob.com. I'm also pulling off a Kickstarter for a new project you can check out at codebadge.org. And one last announcement, just because people have begged and begged and begged. If you go to swag.devchat.tv, you can get t-shirts and mugs and stuff. I don't think we make a lot of money from that, uh, but I just set it up because people kept asking me. So anyway. Finally. Yeah, I know, right? Can we get like a Views on View shirt too? Yeah, I'm going to be putting that in over the next couple of days. Nice. And more weeks ahead. So by the time this goes out, folks, it's there. We've got a couple of guests. We've got Kyle Holmberg. Do you want to say hi, Kyle? Howdy. And then we have Alex Regan. Alex, do you want to say hi? Hello. Now, uh, do you two want to introduce yourselves? Hey, go ahead. Uh, so my name is Alex, and uh, I got started with Vue just a couple of years ago on a company project, and I've been I've only been developing for about three years, and uh, kind of helped accelerate my progress. But uh, I like doing some open source stuff, and kind of new to the whole developer uh, ecosystem. Yeah, this is Kyle. I got into Vue because there was a guy that needed to do the project for Charter, and he didn't want to do it himself. So uh, he was just like, go do it. And uh, they told me to not use React. So I went with Vue, and I learned it thanks to uh, Maximilian Schwarzmuller's Udemy course, shout out. And thanks a lot to Alex for saving my hiney a lot of the time on uh, some of the tougher aspects of the dashboard. And, and this is our first time meeting in person, so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, in person, in air quotes. Sort of in person, yeah. I guess in real time? In real time. I like that. Yeah. And practically pat him on the back. You, you can see each other's faces. There we go. Yeah, I don't know if our listeners really know, but we switched to Zoom and there's video. I'm, I'm working on making sure that the my co-hosts are all okay with sharing, uh, sharing the video before I post it. But that's the thing that I want to do, so we'll see how that goes. I'm a little bit curious... Uh, then, you know, what what has your relationship looked like over the last however long? Are you talking uh, about between Kyle and I? Yeah. Uh, I believe we got started because, uh, like the, he was mentioning his project, um, you know, they, they kind of steered him in a direction that made Vue a, a, a choice that, you know, seemed easy, I guess. And uh, he was looking for something that uh, probably, you know, Kyle, you can say more, but something that was easy to get up and, and running. And he, he was looking at uh, using Bootstrap. And there's a library called uh, Bootstrap View, which enables Bootstrap 4 uh, with no jQuery dependency. And so it probably, you know, that's that's like a nice choice. And, and I was uh, contributing as a core team member at the time because I was using that for my company's project. And so I think he started just, just by like, hey, how do I get started with Bootstrap View? And I probably helped him enough to where he's like, hey, you want to also help me figure out some view things because I'm pretty new to this. So I think that's where it got started. Yeah, essentially, uh, at the time he was a core contributor, I dived into the Bootstrap View Slack team, uh, which was really helpful. And I had gotten a lot of the basic things down, but um, essentially, like 
the inspiration for my article we'll eventually touch on essentially came from there was a tough aspect of like this really nested tree aspect in the dashboard. And um, we just kind of hashed it out over the course of a week and we talked a lot. Now we shout each other out on Twitter and then we're here. Nice. So you've both done some sort of open source work within the view ecosystem. Is that correct? Obviously with, with bootstrap view, like how did you, you were using it for your company. Like how did you end up starting contributing? How did that work? What did that look like? Right. So I was um, kind of in an open-ended project. I mean, the developer team is uh, where I was working previously was only three people. So there's there's a lot of autonomy. So I, you know, choose whatever you want to choose. And I, I chose that because I was most comfortable with Bootstrap at the time. Um, and I, I think initially I, I found that I needed some uh, more fine-grained hooks on on modals or something like that. Like somebody dictated, hey, you need this like modal flow. And it involves multi-modals, right? Where one closes and then you have to open another one, which is not anyone's preferred UX, but, you know, someone says and you try and figure it out. And so I was trying to to get the hooks right so that the transitions, since the modal shows and then it, and it leaves and, you you know, you have to wait until the transitions are complete. Um, there was kind of a bug there. And I don't think they had implemented any hooks yet that included the transitions. So I actually started with an issue. And then I was like, you know what? I might be able to figure this out. And I started diving in the source code and kind of figured out what I could do. Uh, and then from there, I, you know, I was like, well, you know, if you want the change, I can, I can help out a little bit. And, um, and I don't even know if that change got accepted right away, but the more I started using it, the more I was like, you know what? I just want to make sure this thing works. I actually started contributing some uh, test coverage for the library. Um, and I think that that was really where I got involved enough where somebody, where the, where the, uh, the original, you know, creator of the library was like, I think you could, you know, be a core team member. And he kind of just took a, ch a chance on me, which was pretty cool. There was a lot of trust involved. And, and at that point, I think my contributing level went way up and started doing more actual library code. But uh, I definitely started a lot with test coverage, um, which may not be the, the canonical path for getting started versus like documentation. But uh, it seemed a good way for me to also understand how the library worked. Yeah, it gives you a lot of opportunities to ask questions, just like writing documentation. And yeah. at that time, how long had you been developing? Oh, a year and a half. A year and a half. So we got one early. I love it. Yeah. A lot of people, when they've only been programming a few years, uh, can get a little bit scared to contribute to open source and, and not be sure where to start. Like, would you have any tips for them? You know, having actually been there relatively recently and manage to start contributing to projects and creating new projects? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of like a, a thick skin kind of argument to be made. Um, you know, it like, I, I guess I look at the internet as, as everyone's anonymous. And so sometimes people say things that are a little out of character that would just be maybe rude in person. And sometimes you find yourself being that person. And so to me, there's like a little bit of thick skin around that. And, uh, you know, everyone... I guess you could say I, I just trust in the fact that everyone is got the imposter syndrome. And I don't know if I really knew that up front, but I just, I was sort of shameless to start. And I figured that if you just put something out there, somebody's going to correct you. And like I said, if you've got a little bit of that thick skin, then you can figure out like how to improve on that rather than, you know, like you'll actually get the answer to your question. I think people have talked about before, if you want to learn if you're right or wrong about something, just post it on the internet <laughs> and you'll find that all opposing viewpoints. So, you know, I mean, if you put yourself out there, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like, um, 
failure-driven development, right? You, you, you find that something didn't work and then you're able to iterate on it, right? And it's the same way with open source. You know, you just put something out there and you'll get feedback. And that process, that feedback loop ends up tightening a lot. Yeah, and text communication where like a lot of development communication happens, you know, like in issues and chat and things like that, there's also so much context that's lost. So something that, you know, in person would sound like very nice and patient, you know, when you just see the text might seem, you know, impatient or even angry. Absolutely. I, I know I have a, a tendency towards sarcasm. So um, I have learned that it's best to to save that for last, if at all. <laughs> uh, and you have to understand that there's a lot of people that come from other languages. And I, I don't mean programming languages. I mean, you know, spoken languages. And uh, and a lot of times people are making a severe effort to write an issue in English. And, um, you know, it comes out any number of ways. And you have no idea what the real intent is because, you know, it's not their first language. Yeah, the Internet is a very international community. I, I definitely recommend staying away from sarcasm. I think you're right. Yeah, in terms of um, in terms of open source for new developers, like I actually work. Um, I do a lot of open source development. Nothing. Uh, I think in terms of view, I contributed like two PRs to Bootstrap View. Um, however, I do a lot of open source development on not necessarily libraries, but websites. I'm a Latino and I work with uh, La Tacaria, which is like a Latin based tech org. And they have their open source. Uh, they, they've open sourced their website so people can contribute to it. I plan on diving in there. And then there's also a nonprofit that I work with. Um, and I, th I think that's one cool thing is for people who are getting that are new developers getting into open source development. I think there's definitely like a paradigm shift between working on a library that's open source, which I think is more complex because you have to worry about everybody's use cases as opposed to working on maybe like a website or like a simple product. I think that's that's one of the best ways, in my opinion, to get started with contributions. And with Operation Code, especially, we actually gear the repository for newcomers. So extra documentation, maybe less complex syntactic sugar, stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's a good point about the difference between application code and library code. And, and actually, like building a library that you share with people can be a great way to sort of uh, speed up, accelerate your learning, because it's kind of like building a hundred apps <laughs> instead of just that one app, because everyone, like all of their most difficult problems, they come to you and ask you, like, what's going on here? And you're exposed to so many more things than you would be in your own application. Have you found that that's true for you? For you? I know I've found that that's, uh, that's definitely true. And one thing that I guess, if you're the kind of person that has a lot of skin in your projects, like, I, I take a lot of pride in what I do. You know, I, like, I, like I, I, don't, I don't get offended if someone says something like, you know, they don't like it or they, they don't, you know, there's, there's something they find that could be done better. But... Um, I think if you have that kind of mentality, you can have a tendency to want to acquiesce to every person's request for your library. And so if you're that type of personality, it's also really good to like find some way to like test every request against like a core tenant or so, um, so that you can go, okay, is this actually my concern or, or is this, you know, is it a documentation issue or is it like, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out where the, the boundaries are between your library. And if you're just starting out, that's, that's kind of tough and you're going to make mistakes and that's fine. So coming up with some core values can help you make those decisions. So you're not tempted to always just like go with every single feature that anyone suggests. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, basically, it's it's you know coming up with good interface boundaries for your library. Well, it's interesting because those core values are things that serve in just about any project I've worked on. Once we figured out what we really cared about when it came to the project, it it made it a whole lot easier to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And then uh, one one uh, tech tip is there's a tool called Standard Version that I got introduced to on the Bootstrap View project. And if you use what's called conventional commits, uh, it's just a, a sort of like organizational way to write your commit messages uh, where you use sort of a specific syntax. Uh, it can automate a lot of your semantic versioning. And so as you go through and you make changes and you, you know, maybe deal with some feature requests and bugs and whatnot, you can also help all of your uh, library consumers by, uh, by using a tool like that and saving yourself a lot of trouble in terms of like actually declaring versions that uh, that their projects and you know npm can understand great tip yeah. and so, so kyle what did your getting into open source look like or, or, or feel like it sounds like alex might have roped you in for some prs <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, in terms of contributing to uh bootstrap view i mean essentially it was it was like business requirements you know they wanted bootstrap and I looked for, as working with modern frameworks does, you just kind of look for the better wrapper. And Bootstrap View seemed like the clear and obvious winner. And as I was working, I believe my two contributions were one related to like the well component that they had. And then my first, my first issue was uh, documenting, uh, changing documentation. There was some slippy thing regarding like importing the actual CSS to the client, um, the original file. But in terms of contribution, I think the documentation came, um, what's the word? It came kind of like unrequested, uh, in terms of the well that kind of came as a result of working with, uh, Alex. And so he definitely wrote me in there in terms of like general open source development, um, operation code posted on, some subreddit, some programming subreddit. And, and <laughs> one thing led to another and they basically like recreated the website with like this junior developer at the helm. And so I don't know if it's the best code base, but it was a very lucky and unique way to get involved. And I definitely think there are many opportunities like that out there in terms of uh, going, bouncing off of Alex's recommendation. At some point, you just got to dive in. And I think there's so many maintainers that are so helpful that I'll give you like a lot of trust and, and, and hold your hand through the process. So, and that is certain, and that's normal and that's fine. And, uh, over time you'll get the courage and the ability and the contextual knowledge to be able to contribute yourself. You mentioning, mentioning operation code and, uh, the organization has gotten a bit of exposure on, um, on various shows. And I just want to shout out about it because I, I, I really love the organization. Uh, Nell Shamrell's been on the uh, Ruby Rogues a couple of times, and uh, she's the CTO over there. Um, I know Amy Knight's also been involved, and she's one of our panelists on JavaScript Jabber. And just the idea of serving people who are coming back from serving their country, just it, it really appeals to me. So I just want to say nice things there and just recognize the effort that goes in. Um, I'm not sure that anybody gets paid really to work on it, and it you know, you're out there helping people who have sacrificed for other people. And that that's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, they definitely deserve all the effort we get. It is entirely volunteer based. Nobody gets paid. Anyway, you were saying, Chris? 
I think I was asking Kyle how he started asking questions and what kinds of questions he asked. Like, how did you get people to help you? Yeah, sure. And, so in terms of, in and terms how did of, you decide what to put in an issue, like versus Stack Overflow or something like that? Okay. Um, I actually tend, if it's a complex like application or language specific issue, I tend to go to Stack Overflow. If it's definitely related to like a library or a framework, then I trend towards GitHub. Um, that just seems to be the way I go. I also like to not do either in terms of kind of like that text-based uh, communication uh, paradigm we were talking about earlier. I find that real-time text is at least the best way you can go in that aspect. So I always, like I have, uh, gosh, like 20 Slack teams, like at least. And so like I always trend towards like, hey, do they have a Discord or a Slack team? Because then I can just ask them real-time, slide in the DMs or whatever. In terms of like why or how I got into it, um, for for view bootstrap uh, for bootstrap view rather i essentially just kind of dive in based off the documentation and i ran into a snag and for that original documentation pr i was able to resolve it on my own i realized what the issue was and immediately i made a pr for the documentation to kind of cite the issue that i was talking about and in terms of the well um, after working on that dashboard issue, uh, essentially, then this is kind of the more often thing that you'll see where maintainers are so helpful. I think that Alex essentially was just like, Hey, you know what? Like this would be really good if we just put this in this component, because I think it can be like abstracted out to apply for like many reasons. Uh, and I, I believe it was related to using like a scope slot as opposed to just rendering like data as a child if I'm not mistaken. But so that was essentially like what we got into there. It was just, uh, it was just, we, we found a use case for it and he just kind of nudged me to contribute. And so it wasn't even asking a question. Um, and uh, sometimes you just find use cases as you develop more and more. Um, you find something that doesn't quite fit what you're doing. And maybe you think to yourself, hey, like there's many other people that are going to need to use this and then you ask a core contributor about the issue. And uh, so like this weekend, I just contributed to Next.js, which is like the React equivalent of Nuxt. And uh, basically, I was just like, hey, like custom error pages aren't working on static exports. Um, and I brought that up just like, just like that. And I Googled it and I found a spectrum.chat thread on it. And so I posted the thread. And then some maintainer went so above and beyond in their Slack team uh, his name's Tim. He was just like, here's the issue. Here's the exact code you need to change on this line. <laughs> like, it's just like, they made it so easy for me. And there's so many maintainers that'll do that. So this is a question for either of you. I mean, as people who have asked questions and, you know, on, uh, forums and chat and issues and things like that, uh, and also answered them, do you have any suggestions for first, maybe what not to do? when like asking a question when seeking help from other people try and stay away from one sentence issues uh generally when you write one sentence you've left out so much context that um there is bound to be a number of follow-ups 
So if you can, you know, like rather than kind of thinking the negative here on the positive side, if you can provide a good amount of context and, and sometimes issue templates almost go to the extreme with this, uh, where they're, where they're a little bit inhibiting. Um, you know, you don't need to, to give me your whole app or anything like that, but, uh, you know, reasonable amount of context for, for any issue or any question, uh, can go a long way. And don't be ashamed to put, you know, code samples and whatnot. Um, and if you, if you do want to put a giant code sample in, I highly recommend Googling the details, uh, component for, for the markdown in GitHub, because then you can toggle it and hide it. People can actually see the conversation. Um, but that's just, you know, an extra tip, but, uh, context, context, context. So an issue that just says like, I got an error, please fix it. <laughs> yep. It, it happens so often. <laughs> Maybe that needs a little bit more context. Like what other information would you provide? Yeah. I mean, tell me what you were. So there's, there's also like, so you, you want to say like, what was I doing? You know, what, what was I calling? What was I trying? But um, there's a bigger, a bigger mm-hmm. overarching piece, which is what were you trying to do? Right. Um, yeah. and so there's a lot of, and what like, were you expecting to see? Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, there's generally two problems that people have. They have the problem that they can see right in front of them, but they have the problem of the thing that they're trying to solve. And those are, are rarely like close. They're, they're usually a little bit apart. And especially when you're coming from, from, you know, a text-based communication perspective, you don't have any of that extra context to see how they tie together. Yeah. So if you don't provide enough context and you say like, well, I changed this and then it broke. And someone else might just respond like, well, then don't change it. Like, it's, it's that way for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I think but if you provide a little bit more context, it. yeah, but if you provide a little bit more context about what you were trying to do, and they might uh, give a more helpful answer and say like, oh, okay, here's actually the right way to do that thing. Yeah, I bet you if somebody, if somebody used some sort of, you know, machine learning tool or something, they could look and they could see that uh, issues created, the number of, of words in the issue versus the number of words in the response, there's probably a correlation that the more you explain, there's actually more that, you know, a maintainer is willing to, to respond with. Well, the other thing is, is if it's one thing, if it just totally breaks and barfs and throws an error, it's another thing if it does something different from what you expect. And what's interesting is, is that generally that nuance is something that can be corrected, not just in the, Okay, here, here, let's reset your expectations, but also can be corrected in the sense of, um, hey, we're going to go update the documentation to handle the nuance so that you don't think it does something it doesn't do. Yeah, those are really great moments. Like, like I was, um, you know, I, I just loved it when, when Kyle saw, a, you know, a documentation issue and, you know, it could be one of those like quirks with importing SAS or something like that in a webpack environment, right? And, you need a, a tilde or something before a path. And, and it's like, it seems kind of obscure. And, and you know, to some people who, who use it all the time, it's like, oh, I, I didn't even realize I do that. I just, I'm in this environment a lot and it works for me. Um, and so when people take those moments right away and they're just in the context of what, like this whole, you know, like the webpack plus the SAS plus the bootstrap view, right? That, that little snowflake, that fingerprint of your problem can be, can, can be great opportunities to add like these little, documentation caveats yep and documentation is a really like i cannot stress enough about everybody always says documentation is a great way to start contributing we talked about many people speaking different languages and you just got to keep in mind people are probably copy pasting a lot of things to google translate and so if you have a typo 
especially like on an important word that can just completely ruin somebody's experience with the library framework. So if you find a typo, definitely make a PR to fix it immediately. And that's huge. Yeah, that's a great point. Like it might not mean a lot to people who are native English speakers if you're writing your docs in English, but for someone else, that could be the difference between understanding the point of this page and not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now we've talked about a little bit about what not to do and a little bit about what to do when writing a question. You want to provide lots of context. Are there any other tips that you would recommend to people beyond context? Like, Can you have too much information? You definitely have too much information. Um, I'm guilty of sometimes putting... Uh, I mean, this is why I take, I mean, my, my pro tip would be if you're, I mean, it, it, it's kind of biased for native English speakers, but if you have the ability to converse, I think hashing things out in a real time con, uh, conversation via some, some organizations direct messages, if possible, would be my route to go because maybe, maybe your problem is documented somewhere, but documented poorly. So instead of like fixing, trying to fix code on your own or making an issue about where to fix the code, it could just be like, oh, like we've got that. You've just got to follow this documentation. Sorry, it wasn't clear. And then instead of your PR being like code, it could just be, you know, going back to documentation. Um, so the pro tip is essentially being like, go to real time conversation if you can to hash things out before making issues. Because especially on popular libraries, you might, I mean, it's, it's tough for maintainers to like keep track of all the issues. Like how many libraries have you seen? Like, Babel, for instance, with like hundreds of open issues or PRs, and it's really tough to maintain. So if you can simplify somebody's life by figuring out the issue and really isolating what you need to contribute to resolve that so nobody else uh, deals with it, that would be one tip that I had. And in terms of providing too much context, like that, that goes hand in hand. Like if you can converse with somebody, you can rule out things that you don't need to provide them. Um, at the same time, you're taking up that individual's time as opposed to just putting it on an issue for anybody to discuss. So take that advice with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think um, kind of to Kyle's point, you know, if you do a little bit of homework uh, searching for the different kinds of communication uh, avenues that a library has, you know, there's... There's often a Stack Overflow, uh, you know, hashtag or channel or however it works, you know, where they try and like steer questions versus issues. Uh, these days, it's super common to see Discord or Slack uh, for like I was saying, real time communication. Um, you know, like in a lot of ways, GitHub issues can almost be a last resort or or should almost be considered more specifically for I have a bug that I think I'm experiencing. Um, but uh, there, like, like Kyle also mentioned, you know, you're kind of dealing between async and, you know, real time communication, you know, where, you know, you're posting to a GitHub issue or to a stack overflow and, you know, you kind of got to wait for a response back. Um, but you're also not taking up the person's time. And I personally, I don't mind when somebody over provides information in those contexts versus maybe a real time context where we could just sort of ask questions and drill down, you know, so, you know, like a maintainer might have a, a, a little more nuanced perspective to just say, okay, just, you know, let me, let me sort of guide you down this tree of my problem solving to, to, to help figure this out. But, uh, I, I may not, um, uh, like, you know, have the same opinion that, that all maintainers do, but I, I personally prefer more context, you know, go ahead and give me too much and then I'll help you rein it back, uh, rather than not enough. You know, Alex, my database password is 
<laughs> Password one, two, three. Well, there are some things. I know. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> funny, but yeah, I agree. I mean, especially if people can share code, right? So if they can duplicate, like if you have this built into some module or some class or something in your in your application, and you can pull that out and add it to something else and give me code that I can actually duplicate it on, that's really helpful. Yeah, some some places, um, you know, I don't know if they mandate, but they they definitely suggest you know, a recreation like a JS fiddle. Uh, and these days there's a lot of really cool tools out there like code sandbox and stack blitz, uh, where you can recreate the whole environment and share a link to some, you know, URL that we, we can all trust, right? I, sometimes I've seen people post URLs and I'm like, I, I'm, I apologize if this sounds rude, but I'm not clicking that. <laughs> but, uh, when it's a code sandbox or a JS fiddle, it's like, this is great. You know, I can, I can look at your isolated problem. And see what may or may not be working. And, and I think Kyle may have actually used JS Fiddle to uh, exchange certain, uh, you know, uh, kind of like trying to architect his, uh, he had this recursive accordion thing and, and little pieces of it may or may not have been working. And, and we were able to, to almost communicate a lot through there. Cause I think he did have some, some, you know, sensitive, uh, uh, like company data that he was trying not to expose while still like making the problem generic to say, here's, here's, you know, a recreation of, of what I'm working with. Yeah, we worked a lot in JS Fiddle in that week. So when putting together an example that demonstrates the problem, that that reproduces the issue, what are your tips for creating that piece of code? Like, is there a way to do it wrong? Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers. Or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Yeah, this is that's actually one of the tougher things I think in open source. That does require like a touch of uh, experience and stuff. I'd, I'd say that's definitely like a point where you want to do your best to try to get help from others if you're not used to it. Um, because the the challenge here, like like uh, Alex mentioned, I can't just share my repository because it's private, and that's what the clients wanted. So I was forced to try to obfuscate an example. Um, <laughs> so. One thing that you can use, like maybe you don't want to recreate an entire uh, database. Uh, so like I use like JSON generator, for instance, that website to make up fake data. And then like I'll throw it in a Firebase and just make it public read and <laughs> just try to scrape something together. Um, at the end of the day, creating an example for somebody, you just need to... The, the, the difficult aspect of it is making the right obfuscation so they see the problem. And also you can connect it back to your specific problem set. And so that goes into what Alex was saying is just definitely provide context because if I tell you my problem, the code problem, and give you an example, the chances of your issue getting resolved and getting resolved fast are supremely high. If your application is open source, should you just share that? 100%. Yeah, when you can have a whole reproduction repo, I mean, that's amazing. Someone, someone was able to do that with me not too long ago. And the difference that that makes for me is I'm able to just pop that into my editor with all my tools. And like, that is my 
I mean, it's my environment, right? I'm, I'm trained to see the red squigglies from, you know, ESLint or something like that or, or the, the TypeScript language server. Uh, and so I'm able to spot things that, uh, the machine helps me find rather than things that, that I have to read through. Like, I guess one, one small tip is, uh, when you, when you provide code samples in GitHub issues, use the triple deck backticks with a language identifier because having the syntax highlighting makes a huge difference for being able to spot a problem. Like the moment I drop a code sample into my editor, which is usually how I, you know, go, okay, let me, let me see if I can look at what they're working on. Uh, and the syntax highlighting is broken. I'm like, oh, well, well, like this isn't even a, like a full and complete example because, you know, maybe it's missing some braces or something, which may actually be their problem and it may not be their problem, right? It may have been just a bad copy paste. So, I mean, I kind of find that like, like the further you go out into this, like recreate a problem, uh, for someone to share with, right? There's a, there's a really high, payoff because you know everyone can can consume this in whatever uh medium works best for them and they can really get something working but um the big difference is it's it's kind of a, a large pain for the person who's trying to communicate this issue uh so there's like a cost benefit analysis of like how easy would it be for me to you know recreate this and show this to somebody and if i do the simple version like is it just going to work because it's so easy and my problem is more complex? So I think you kind of got to weigh your options a little bit and, and knowing the tools that are out there, like, I guess this, uh, this JSON generator, um, I was going to say faker, but that, you know, then you got to like NPM install faker and figure out how to like generate your data structure. So it's, uh, there's a lot of cost that goes into recreating issues like that. Now, what if the project someone shares is like, 5,000 files, you know, there's so much stuff going on. There are really like five different apps within the app, like all like intercommunicating. And then they say like, oh yeah, when I go to this route, like, you know, all you have to, all you have to do is like download this. You have to set up like a few different databases. Uh, make sure you install like a few dependencies. You know, it, it takes you like half a day. Um, and then you have to try to figure out like how all of this is working. Like is that's where as a maintainer have an application like that. Yeah, that's where as a maintainer, you have to rein yourself in and not lambast them for being hilarious. But uh, I guess... Well, what should I, they do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at that point, that's that's where it comes into the obfuscation aspect that I mentioned. Uh, I just, I, I can't, if if there is truly a situation, I, I just, I haven't, I haven't ever seen a situation that can't be like obfuscated by like fake data and something a little more accessible. But the onus is not in the maintainer to be able to correctly recreate the problem. The onus is definitely on the person with the issue to provide the easiest environment for somebody to see it occur. So, you know, it's, 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 it's tough, but at that point, like if, if you're having somebody try to like uh, download a table and like import it um, and like, you know, use like a whole MVC full stack application just to recreate a problem, you can try that and maybe some maintainer is glorious enough to work with you in that environment. Um, but I would definitely advise on working really hard to find a better obfuscation, maybe outside of your development. If, if we're going back to, you know, if this was like an open source repository, if, if, if the, if the discussion is like, it's open source, why can't I just share my repo? But if it's like an MVC application where you have to get all of these things perfect, even though it's open source and it's the repositories there, I would give that context, but I was also work to try to find like some kind of abstraction for finding, for replicating the issue a little more easily. So would you say in creating a demo, 
they should try to make it as simple as possible, like as little code as possible, where the problem yeah, still yeah. occurs. Yeah, the uh, the MVP where the code breaks. <laughs> the minimum viable problem. Problem. <laughs> the, the MVP, minimum viable bug. <laughs> minimum viable demo. Anyway, interesting. So I, I learned a lot about your experiences and, and, and coming to open source. I'd like to change topics soon, but before I do that, is there anything else that you'd like to share with you know new contributors to the Vue ecosystem or any other coding ecosystem? I'd definitely say, um, you know, find, like you got to start with something that that you have a genuine interest in. Um, you know, something that uh, that's gonna, you know, like there's a the curiosity light bulb is on. Right. And, uh, and that way it's, it's a little bit more fun. Like, I guess there's the other avenue of like, I, I was doing something for my work. And so I needed something and it's a nice way to give back, uh, in that case. But, um, yeah, try and find something that, that really interests you. And the more you delve into it, you'll, I mean, I have not found a case yet where, um, you aren't surprised by, like, if you look at it from the big picture, you're saying, Hey, I want to help you with this thing that you're building. It's kind of hard for people to be like, oh, that sounds terrible. No, no, I don't want your help. Like that rarely happens for the most part. You know, we all hear stories of, like war stories about how open source is people are drowning in issues and they're generally waving a white flag and they're saying, no, you can absolutely help me. Here's all the tools you need. So, you know, you'll generally find that that going out there, it's going to be a little bit. I think if you if you put yourself out there, you're going to you're almost going to be scared because you're going to get something like put on your plate that it's bigger than you expected. You know, people are going to say, yes, go ahead, right here, dive in here. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I was just going to do some documentation stuff. Um, so, you know, go at your own pace as well. But, uh, but yeah, I think that my biggest uh, um, learning experience has been how welcoming open source is. And, you know, I just haven't found a community that has, has uh, I don't know, maybe things are changing these days because I always hear about the old guard of programming that, you know, would, would, uh, like shame noobs. And I just don't see that much anymore. Maybe I'm in, in all the good circles because I don't, you know, use, uh, was it hacker news? Or <laughs> but that's my, we try to keep you pretty friendly at least. Yeah. And you guys are doing a great job of it. I actually just talk crap behind your, behind your back. So that's the problem there. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've seen those communities and they do exist, but. I don't know. It seems like a lot of the newer technologies with lar with open source communities, they tend to really frown on people being that way. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't see it as much either. And generally, yeah, the, at least the newer open source communities have all been very beginner friendly. And I think part of that too just comes out of the fact that a lot of these projects are to the point now where they're trying to gain adoption. And a lot of the people that are adopting these technologies are newer. We're seeing more new people come into the, uh, the industry than we've ever seen before. And I don't think that's going to change or slow down anytime soon. Yeah. In terms of like final statements on uh, open source for anybody thinking about it, I mean, it's, it gets summed up to just do it. Even if you think it's small, like the thing is the moment you go to somebody about con uh, contributing, I know that as a maintainer myself of applications, I know that the reason that library maintainers, when I contribute, they help me a lot because 
it's, 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 it's an investment. They hope that you will continue contributing just like that guy that offered Alex, you know, core contributor status on, on Bootstrap View. The thing is, you got to start somewhere. So never think the issue is too small. Just, just do it. Yeah, I'd say one more piece of advice that I'd give is a lot of people ask, like, what can I do to contribute? And that can be an okay question sometimes. But one, a question that I prefer is, would X be a useful way to contribute? Because people know what problems they have, but they don't know what problems you can help with. So if you give them a menu of things that you know you can do that you feel comfortable with, like, I'd be happy to write tests, like if there's any test coverage missing, I'd be happy to write documentation. Uh, I'd be happy to, you know, help, you know, investigate some kind of problem if you need someone to do that. And if you ask a really specific question like that, they'll often come up with something right away that you can help with. But if you just ask more generally, like anything I can help with, it's like, oh, gosh, we're going to have a whole conversation about this. Like, I don't even know what you can do. Yeah, that's that. I think that specific topic, like that, that is a responsibility of maintainers to use a label such as good first issue, because that is that exact menu you're discussing. I mean, it's, it's very important to have like a, a platter of items for newcomers to be able to select over. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I think there's room for both sides to, to help with that communication. All right. So the, the other thing that I was kind of curious to talk to both of you about today is that you've both written view applications and, and built view applications, and you've also built React applications. And to start with, I was wondering if you had any kind of advice for view developers who are maybe starting their first React application and aren't really sure like where to dive in, what to do, like what resources they should look at. I, I see Alex and Kyle pointing at each other. It looks like neither of them want to take it. <laughs> it's funny. I actually can't see his face. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and dive in then. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, if you're making your first React application coming from Vue land, um, there are very, there are obviously many, many things that are similar between the two frameworks, and there are many things that are very different. In terms of preparing yourself, I personally, uh, I'm like a huge fan of, I, I mentioned him earlier, Maximilian Schwarzmiller, he teaches Udemy courses on all the major front-end frameworks. I think the way he teaches the courses is, just like perfect for diving in for the first time. So even though I had been coding for like, I guess if you count school, I had my computer science degree. So like four years and then like a year of professionally, it's totally fine to still dive into like Udemy courses and like you can skip through what you already understand. So I definitely recommend diving in like on a tutorial. Um, after that, understand the huge core differences one aspect being in terms of the three major frameworks, Angular, Vue, and React, React sides on the, the mentality of no opinionation. Angular sides on the aspect of full opinionation. They give you a very rigid framework. And Vue is somewhere straddling that line uh, in the middle, I think, very well. So just understand that Vue's documentation provides direction in terms of how you should code something provided their uh, API. React will literally just give you the API and the community is the one that decides uh, typical best practices. That's the uh, main takeaway that I've, that I've got between the two. Yeah, I actually find it interesting that you, you, uh, you said looking at a person going from Vue to React because um, 
what it could just be the ecosystem, uh, you know, like my, my local community. Um, uh, but I generally end up talking to, uh, developers who have been in React and are actually migrating to Vue. Um, but yeah, there, there are definitely, uh, like I think kind of on your, what Kyle was saying on that spectrum of opinionated, I think one of the things that is, uh, like when people talk about React, they, they generally, say React and refer to what they are familiar with as the full application stack, yes. right? And React is <laughs> is the view, yes. right? And so, you know, React is, you know, uh, you add Redux and then, you know, you say, okay, well, Redux, maybe, maybe that's a little too much boilerplate. So we'll do some sort of special action creator thing. We add sagas. So there's like, you know, nested levels of modules here that, that, you know, they're, they're generally referring to as, as a whole. And so one thing that it's really important to kind of, um, remember when you're translating back and forth is that while Vue doesn't really require you to use all of their tools in terms of state management and routing, um, they do have like canonical solutions for this with Vue router and with Vue X. And so that's kind of nice. And really they follow a lot of the same patterns, uh, in terms of application, you know, architecture with like, uh, unidirectional data flow with, with state management and, and that sort of thing. Uh, what you really get into is kind of the differences in template languages, right? Like JSX versus view templates. And, and it, I mean, even there, like I kind of just go case by case, right? Cause maybe one person's all, you know, ready to do the view CLI and do single file components. But I see other people that are just dropping a script tag. And they're doing, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, make sure you're using the, the, the view build that includes the template compiler, right? So that you can do your string templates. And so there's a lot of different ways people can come at view or react and, and go from one to the other. So it kind of depends for me. Um, I try to tailor, I don't know, my advice. Sorry for the generic answer. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the opinionation, as you mentioned, like it rides not just, not just at the API, but also in the, in the tooling. Um, as you, as you mentioned, like, React doesn't have an official router, nor does it have an official state management system aside from its own context API. So Vue provides, I personally, like, I, I, I like uh, Vue's mentality of the opinionation aspect, um, even though I currently work with React. Um, and there are things that I liked about uh, React in terms of I actually prefer JSX to the, the single file component aspect uh, nowadays. I didn't used to. But although you can use JSX with Vue as well, you can use JSX with Vue, and also there's a there's a library called One Loader. You can use the single file components within React. Uh, it has like a lot of uh, Webpack obfuscation essentially. So, yeah, in terms of the opinionation, it's not just in terms of like the API and they give you good good ideas in the Vue documentation. It's also they have an official router, they have an official state management library, mm -hmm. and so that's a big difference as well. Yeah, I recently was at a, at a meetup and, um, I was talking to some people who, who I think were coming from just different backgrounds. And so they weren't really doing web development. One guy was doing game development and maybe C sharp or something like that. Uh, and his wife, I can't remember what her background was, but they were both kind of like, all right, we want to like, they might have had a web project that they wanted to work on. And they, I think I'd seen them maybe at another meetup. And so I think they were like sampling, like, you know, oh, let me check out like Angular and Vue and React and, and, you know, all the different frameworks that I can get my hands on. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was kind of an interesting thing to, to, to talk with them. And, um, one of the coolest things that I, I think that I was able to, to re relate to them was that like Vue has a lot of, um, really cool free, uh, tutorials, like 
what's his name? Jeffrey Way from the Laravel community has a really awesome Viewcasts, I believe is what it's called. And I think that's actually what got me uh, started with Vue in the, in the first place to the point where I was um, confident enough to pick it for, for a work application. So that was pretty fun being able to, uh, you know, pass along. And, and it's just because I haven't been in the React ecosystem as long. I'm, I'm, you know, I'd imagine with this uh, popularity that there's just as much resources or more for, for, you know, uh, people providing tutorials, but it's, it's really cool when, when you're able to like say, Hey, I learned it from scratch with this little free tool. And so can you. So it sounds like if you're starting from React and going to Vue or starting with Vue and going to React, you're not starting from scratch if you uh, start on a project that's using a different framework. It sounds like a lot of the ideas still translate. I certainly think that they do. And recently, we've seen a lot of new patterns, uh, you know, kind of hit the blog post, <laughs> uh, um, you know, route. And, and like you've got the render prop idea in React, which is a pretty cool pattern rather than doing wrapper components and, and kind of allows for intermixing com uh, composition and passing, you know, data down to uh, uh, actually up from a parent into uh, from the child into the parent. And um, so like Vue has this idea of scope slots, which allows you to to share data in, in that sort of way and kind of like make custom templates, if you will, uh, for the slot of, of that component. And so like the, I kind of try and help people, you know, it's like if you're going from one to the other, if you're like, oh, I'm in React, and I, I use, I'm, I'm, you know, some people kind of like, quote unquote, subscribe to like this pattern or not, right? So I use a lot of render props. So I'm like, oh, well, then you're going to really like view scope slots. And, you know, if somebody's in view and they're like, I, I use a lot of view scope slots, you know, and this is how you might do it in React. And there's a lot of, a lot of ways to, to like translate those patterns, but, um, you know, you take them as they come. Yeah, I actually yeah. just went to React Rally and um, there was a, a React developer that was mentioning like, well, you know, I don't want to lose the paradigm of being able to do like render props. So that's why I like uh, react like a lot more. And I was like, um, you can do them just use scope slots. It's like the same exact thing. So, or even if you're, if you're just using render functions for everything, you can literally just use render functions. You can use the exact same pattern. The advantage of scope slots is it allows you to use a mix of templates and render functions, uh, however you'd like. And that the scope slots will work in both of those. Uh, context. Yeah, Whereas exactly. if you're using a, a um, if you're using render props, then you really are relying on like using render functions throughout your entire application. Yeah. yeah the, the paradigms, like the, the sort of the way you're passing data back and forth may actually be the, the same, but the paradigm feels entirely different if you're using a template versus a render function. Um, and that's, that's actually what I find really empowering when you learn both frameworks uh, and, and if you continue on to other frameworks, uh, you know, like I went down and started digging deep into, into functional components in Vue. Um, and so, you know, I started learning a lot more about the way the almost really the virtual DOM API, the way that works with the Vino data and that sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, just recently I've been playing in React and, and just using render functions with Node.jsx. And, and you, you get really stunned with how similar these APIs are. Uh, and it, it really helps you translate ideas. And I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend every person try that, but, um, I mean, if you got, if you got the, the, the urge to, to dig deep, like this kind of stuff is really useful and it, and it can help you just sort of like bridge the gap from one framework to another. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, especially with functional components, uh, in, in some cases, like you could write a little script that would just convert all of your, uh, functional components in React to functional components in Vue or vice versa. 
Yeah, they're they're pretty pretty translatable. I mean, the uh, like basically the attribute or the property object is is a little bit different, but I think they're totally mappable. So one thing that I'm wondering is, let's say that somebody on this call was going to be at, I don't know, some kind of summit where they were going to be able to meet with, you know, the the React core team. What kinds of things? Would you have them suggest to them that the view core team's doing well? And what kinds of things should they say? Hey, I hear this is really great in React land. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Great question. I personally would love if the uh, computed properties was possible in React. I mean, the, the power of having this sort of cached computed uh, value for, for your props, is it seems, you know, Maybe I, it's just because I started more with Vue and I learned how to really leverage that. Uh, but that would be that would be something I would I would love to see in sort of the React uh, component API. Could you translate that to like a constructed state? What exactly are you talking about? Like, like a get derived state from props or something more like that? You could do it that way with the lifecycle method, or you could I think you could use the constructor on the class and then derive like state from props and. It would act just like component did mount. You wouldn't see a visible re-render, but then you have a computed property. It's just in state instead of props. Yeah, you, you because React doesn't have a reactivity system, you'd have to do a little bit more to tell it like when to recompute this computed property, just like you have to tell it like, you know, should the component update? Yeah, that's that's why I think the computed the computed state property would probably be the best way to do that. However, the difference would be with reactivity, you know, discussion in Vue can still happen both ways with computed properties, especially and like things like emit and watcher in the event bus. So I think that would be the one limitation is the the data flow is still definitely one directional. Uh, so it can only come from the parents discussion. And I, I will say if you use MobX with with React, you can actually get uh, computed properties like with a reactivity system because MobX offers essentially an identical reactivity system to what Vue is using. So if you're um if you're using React with MobX, you're basically like writing more verbose view components. Yeah. But this is this is exactly like this is really fun to talk about because this is exactly what what Alex was just talking about in terms of um in terms of we were talking about like the tooling. It's like our our responses have mostly been like, you know, in terms of the opinionation, you know, Vue gives like a clear way to have a reactive paradigm with the computed properties and React, you can, you can do it because there's just all these different ways that the community has decided, or you can really get into the API. Um, and in terms of things that I'd recommend to them, is, is it okay to answer, uh, don't change anything? I think they're both kicking pure ass and they're amazing communities to work in. And I think there are advantages to, uh, being a little bit more focused with the core library that React has and leaving more to user land because there's a lot of innovation that comes out of that too. When there's a, when there's a really good solution that already exists for a problem, uh, sometimes the innovation can stagnate a little bit because people will be like, Oh, I mean, it's not that big of a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, this is, you know, this, this is already like 90% as good as I, I want it to be. And so, you know, there's not as much incentive to try something like dramatically new and different. Definitely. And not even that, if it's like in terms of bouncing off the stagnation aspect, if there's an official solution, 
you're wondering if anybody's going to use an alternative solution or how difficult it's going to be able to maintain. So even if you know you want to do something different, you're going to probably err on the side of not doing so. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be kind of curious, um, you know, with React coming out with a lot of uh, time slicing and suspense um, features for, for the fiber rewrite, I'd be kind of curious how any of that maps to Vue and if, and if Vue has, uh, you know, like in, in back to like what you could, you know, say from one team to another, right? Like, we wonder if there's anything there for, for Vue in terms of, uh, you know, all these different pieces of your application that might want to request asynchronous data. You know, I, I don't know if, um, like, there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with async components in Vue. So I don't know if that story is fully answered or if there's new, you know, paradigms. Like, obviously, we don't really have full access to this kind of stuff yet, or at least I don't in my React project. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the community probably has to pave the way a little bit and see what they can do with this, but I'd be kind of curious to see what Vue could, could learn from that time slicing and, and suspense. Yeah, I'd love to see where they're going to go with async rendering. Um, that was like a big hot topic at the conference I was just at is all the different ways that uh, time slicing and suspense is going to change not just React itself and how you use it, but also many, many libraries. For instance, Ryan Florence just, Ryan Florence just came out with a new, uh, a router and it relies a lot upon like suspense paradigms. Yeah, and it, async components is something that's been possible with Vue for for quite some time. The the time slicing uh, in like that beautiful beautiful demo. It's like one of my favorite demos that I'd seen in a while. Um, that the Dan really Abramov beautiful. one, right? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, 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 Dan Abramov's. Yeah, at um, in Iceland or something when he first gave it. But that was that was just fantastic. I felt really inspired, and uh, yeah, that's definitely something we're paying attention to, and something that you know we're thinking about potentially uppering too. And I, I think the React team, you know, is is still also figuring out like how it's going to work. So you know, we're we're both kind of keeping an eye on that problem and trying to figure out like how can we how can we best provide that kind of development feature, uh, you know, where even on on slow networks you're your application essentially automatically throttles itself in a really smart way. That's that's absolutely fantastic, uh, and we have we have some partial answers to that, and React has some partial answers to that already too. Uh, but uh, we're both, I think, coming up with with better solutions, and, and that's is, still in progress. This is so interesting to me because uh, I think when when Vue first sort of like really came onto the scene, everyone. At least in my community, everyone sort of felt like, why do we need another framework? Like we've got, you know, we've got Ember, we've got Angular, we've got React, like we've got solid choices. I certainly uh, and, felt that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet, like there was something about Vue that, that you're just like, well, this just feels so cohesive. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's guiding me along the path. Like it's got such a nice API. It's really performant. Um, and I think it had an opportunity to, to learn a lot from, from every other framework. And now, you know, it's established itself and now we're, we're into like, you know, the, where, where the, the wall is in terms of progress and people are just, just nudging it forward again, you know, and everyone's on the front lines, you know, everyone's learned from each other. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just like everyone has got a different view on something and then they push it forward a little bit and then they go, oh, how can we, how can we learn from that and adapt that and will it work in our paradigm? Yeah, I, I'm actually really grateful for the different frameworks that we have because we are constantly learning from each other. You, and you'll see a lot of the same ideas repeated between between all the frameworks. And I feel like every time anyone comes out with like a new CLI tool, 
it's the best CLI tool that exists because, <laughs> because whenever, whenever we're creating something new, we're looking at the best practices that all these other communities have established and trying to combine them into something even better than before. Yeah, it's pretty amazing with the, you know, now there's, now there's GUIs that are coming with our CLI tools, which almost feels like, like it's a paradox or, or, or something like, but it's a CLI tool, but, but it has a GUI. It's amazing. Well, and back to your point of there are good options out there already for frameworks. Why do I need another one? Um, I mean, that's the other point is somebody else is eventually going to come along, I believe, and say, I like what's out there right now but I really want something more like whatever. And then we wind up with the next best, you know, I mean, that's what view was, right? It didn't, it wasn't the, the breakthroughs weren't in the way that the framework necessarily did anything different from, um, angular or react, you know, we still have components and we still, the big ideas, a lot of them are really the same. What it was, was it was just some people wanted that guided path. And there were some other things that it did differently that, that made things a little bit easier. And so there's, you know, if we see another framework, it's going to be another incremental, um, growth on top of what's already out there. I mean, I feel I, like in some ways React was a little bit of a leap forward and in other ways it wasn't. But, um, you know, from what was out there before it, but, you know, generally you don't see major strides forward. Generally what you're seeing is, oh, we need something and this would make things a bit easier. And it'll save us, you know, 10 hours a week per developer or something like that. And so people go and use it because it's more pleasant. Yeah, even Vue's reactivity system, which a lot of people think of as like a, a stand apart feature or a, a standout feature. It was based on a lot of other things that have been done before. And there was some innovation there in terms of like how we implemented it. So right. that you could just like write JavaScript and it was just reactive. Um but that that was the only like big innovation. Um, the, the other one, I guess, is just combining things. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, you talked about how um, Vue felt very cohesive when you were first using it, Alex. Like trying to put things together in a way that that makes sense. Uh, the, the things that that other people have done that they've worked really hard on and refined, and trying to refine it maybe a little bit more on top of that and also fit it into a system where it doesn't feel like a big bag of just stuff because frameworks can feel like that too, where it's just like, okay, we have like 10,000 features and there are 10,000 different ways to write my app. And I don't even know which, like which one I should use anymore. And they, in terms of like, I, I always um, I get a little disgruntled about like you know why do we need another framework discussion because we just asked we just we had just touched on the aspect earlier that like competition drives innovation and I don't think anybody needs a reason if you want to make a new front end framework go ahead because you know what if it does do something so groundbreaking that everybody else has to keep up and it it changes the way we do everything I mean the last like four years of web development have been so vastly improved than it was before. Um, so I, I, I love the idea that that JavaScript is all about like, what's the new framework today? That's my favorite aspect of like the whole community. It's the trade-off though is, you know, you just mentioned it. There's so many ways to do things. It's very, I'd say getting into web via JavaScript, it's, it's tough for beginners. There is not only are there opinions, but then there are like, 
many communities that don't have opinions and tell you to choose your own. And when you don't have any idea of what to do, you just kind of want the answer given to you so you can learn. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of straddling the line between there. All right. Well, I need to push us to picks. But before we do, Kyle and Alex, how do people find you online? I'm uh, KyleMH underscore on Twitter. My medium is also KyleMH with no underscore. And my GitHub is KyleMH with no underscore. Yeah, I'm pretty much on everything as Alex Sasha Regan. And you can find me on Twitter and on GitHub. Uh, honestly, those are really the, the only two things that I'm paying much attention to these days. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Chris, do you have some picks lined up? Sure, I can try to go. So one of my picks is going to be... Uh, I, I talked about like watching cooking shows on Netflix or, or other services sometimes to just have something in the background that you know, it doesn't really distract you from programming, but still gives you some mild stimulation for the parts of the brain that you might not be using. And uh, recently I've been getting into like home decorating shows, I guess. You know, I, I don't have cable. So people who have HGTV, this is probably what they're doing all the time. <laughs> uh, but this is kind of new to me and I'm enjoying shows like, uh, amazing. I think it's called amazing in tears and, uh, there's some others like stay here where they, uh, you know, go and redo like Airbnbs and stuff like that. And those are, those are kind of fun. I also just enjoy like seeing the, like the weird stuff that people do with their spaces. Uh, and I find it sometimes kind of inspiring to see how people have decided to live and like what they've put into making their homes a place that feels like a home to them and makes them really happy. That also makes me feel like I'm living in just like some kind of dank hole. <laughs> so that side of it too. It's like the modern uh, HGCV. There you go. And, well, I can't build. I can't build out of a cave. But like, maybe I could get a new rug. Don't make yourself obstacles, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, so one pick that I have, I've been playing this game on my phone and been enjoying it. It's called Terra Genesis. And the thing that I like about it is partially just kind of the um, the physics and science-ish stuff that's in it. The other thing is, is that it's kind of addictive, but at the same time, it forces me to wait for things to finish. So um, that, that's been nice because it forces me to put my phone down. Um, and then uh, I have a few other picks, but they're mostly things that I'm working on that I wanted to shout out about. And these things will probably be at various stages of done uh, by the time this show comes out. One is, um, so the Get a Coder Job website, I think I mentioned that before, uh, getacoderjob.com. Um, you know, I also have been putting up the swag, so swag.devchat.tv. 
And then uh, the last one is, um, I have people ask me all the time how to stay current. And it's funny because I kind of walk people through the steps, you know, figure out why you want to stay current, what you want to stay current on. And then, you know, go look and see what people are talking about and what's coming up. And then decide, you know, your best guess what it is that's going to pay off for you based on what you want. Um, and then you can go and learn it. And then I talk about the process of learning things. Um, anyway, I've decided that I really want to put together a sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, a, a way of people to keep, way for people to keep track of, of their learning. And so I've devised this thing called codebadges dot or codebadge.org. And so what it is, is it'll have, uh, different tracks in it and you can go earn the badges. It'll all be free. So you can go and you can look at, um, you know, an open source project. Let's put Webpack up for an example or Babel. So you go and you learn how Babel works. And, you know, you go, so you will go watch a couple of conference talks or a Pluralsight video or something. And okay, now I get Babel. And then there'll be another one that's like set up a project using Babel. And so, you know, then it goes from learner to you get the, um, you know, builder badge or whatever I, we decide to call it. And then from there, there will also be like a contributor badge and a core team badge. And so, you know, for Vue.js, for example, there will be a core team badge. And, um, you know, people on the core team can award the badge to other people on the core team. And, you know, we'll figure out all, how all that's supposed to work so that people aren't just getting badges that they don't deserve. But I think it'll be interesting way of... I'm okay uh, if I get badges that I don't deserve. I know, right? <laughs> but I think it's an interesting way of just kind of having somebody be able to put their badges up and say, look, this is what I know, or this is what I've done. And then people can click through the badge and see what they've done to um, accomplish them. So if they have Git repos that fill the requirements and they, you know, people can go check out those Git repos. Or if they're a core team member, then it can go and show them their uh, contributions to the view project or something. So anyway, just kind of a fun idea that I thought might be interesting for the community to um, contribute to, and people can add stuff to the tracks and things like that. But we need to figure out how, how all that works too. So anyway, that that's kind of a guided tour of what to stay current on. And so, if there are popular badges, say you say you're interested in JavaScript, you can pick a popular JavaScript badge and go after it. So, so, so when is that coming out again? I set up a Kickstarter. So if you go to CodeBadge.org, uh, there should be a link to the Kickstarter. Um, and uh, yeah. You can get on there. There's also a, a form you can fill in if you just want to get notified when we launch. So, anyway, Kyle, what are you, what what are your picks? I just signed up uh, on your form, by the way. Uh, my picks uh, we've, we've talked about a little bit in the show. Thanks to the shout out, by the way. Uh, Operation Code. Um, I'm the front end lead. Um, not very happy with the uh, the live repository, and I have a new repository coming in. So, if you want to get involved with some React application open source feel free to register on the website. You'll get an invite to our Slack team, which is awesome. And by the time this goes out, it'll be just the start of Hacktoberfest. So uh, get yourself some swag by contributing with us. And shameless plug, we talked about React versus Vue on my Medium. I have a, yet another React versus Vue article. I try to update it based on how my opinions shift, but it's a pretty deep dive. I talk about um, the differences between like... React being purely one-directional data flow, for instance, and uh, a view having escape patches to be reactive. And my last pick would be Sarah Sweden. 
she's like the goddess of SVG. And it's been really cool being like the SVG guy in the office. And it's all thanks to her. She's awesome to follow on Twitter. And she has an amazing website and blog. Awesome. Alex, do you have some picks? Yes. Um, so I recently invested in a standing desk. And uh, I don't have the best posture sitting at a computer all day. So this was an awesome investment. Um, I did a little research. I ended up going with Uplift, but I've heard really, really good things with uh, Jarvis as well. So, um, yeah, like I, I recently started a job where I work from home, so I needed a new desk. So if anyone else is in that situation, or if your company is going to buy you some furniture, that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, definitely recommend standing desks. So um, those that can't see, he's standing now. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I also recently got a new computer. I had the Linux bug to, to try something new. And uh, System76 is a company out of Denver. Um, and they make uh, their own their own hardware. I think currently they make their own desktops and they're actually doing some, some sort of like reassembly for their laptops. But I bought an Oryx Pro, um, which is just screaming fast and has loads of memory. So you can run multiple Electron apps at one time. And uh, uh, so they're awesome. And they, they even have their own Linux distro called Pop! OS, which is kind of an Ubuntu variant. And it's really easy to use. I like it a lot. Um, and the last thing that I have is very self-serving, potentially self-serving. It's a, it's a little library I wrote. And so I like, to, I like to dabble in other languages. And one of the ones that's been, it's like my unicorn language. Like I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm really interested. And it's Rust. Um, there's just so many cool things going on in that language. And I was trying to, you know, just get started. And I, I came across these two, these two types that they have, which is the option and the result type. And I guess they're really, really grounded in functional programming. Uh, it's one of the things I don't feel is talked about as, as much with functional programming is like the maybe type. And it's, it's basically because it gets into monads and it's kind of confusing, but it's really powerful and really cool. So I wrote this is this is how much of a of a JavaScript to the core person I can't escape it. In order to understand it, I rewrote it in JavaScript. <laughs> I wrote options and results in JavaScript in TypeScript to be specific. And so I have a, a library called Safe Types, and it's just kind of a um, an experiment to do errors as values and to eliminate null and undefined and do some cool stuff there. So I have a couple links. Um, you know, for the library and for kind of an explanation on how I do what I generally refer to as poor man's pattern matching uh, in JavaScript and TypeScript. All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you for coming and chatting with us. My pleasure. No problem. All right. Well, we will uh, wrap this up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.